What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 96 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, is we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, welcome to the last episode of the year 2020. I don't know about you, but I will not be upset to flip that calendar to 2021. In fact, one of the highlights of 2020 has been for me, the amazing leaders that we have had access to here on Lynch with a Leader. We have walked the journey with so many incredible people listening to their listening to their stories from Chris Singleton and his stories on forgiveness to Damon West back in episode 80 talking about the coffee bean and what he learned to John Gordon sharing his new spiritual fable book to Jason Romano to Adam Weber to Mark Rick to Mark Batterson Chip Smith and many 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 others we have gotten to hear the story of God's faithfulness the story of spiritual leadership and the story of living out the journey that God has called you to live out it has been an incredible year. I think back our very first episode of 2020 was Ken Blanchard, one of the icons in the business world. And in some ways that seems like a million years ago, but I'm so thankful that leaders, the caliber that we've had have taken time out of their schedules to be a guest with us here on Lynch with a Leader. I know I'm better for it. And I know you're like me when I find a podcast and see other episodes, I sort of binge listen. So I hope that maybe even during the holidays, you're able to binge. If I could ask you to do me a favor, people ask all the time, man, I love getting this podcast. What's something I could do for you? Hit pause, go to iTunes, leave a rating and leave a review. That helps us move up the charts and helps other people that are wanting to be leaders like you be who they were created to be by hearing how others have lived out their journey. That would be awesome. So if you even want to pause right now and go do that, it would mean the world because it really is how other people find their way to us. Well, today we get to close 2020 by hearing the story of a gentleman that affected my journey in a massive way. A few years ago, I was able to meet him through the Blackaby Coaching Network and the training that I got on spiritual leadership from him was huge. His name is Brett Pyle. Brett spent 30 years in his global business career with Anderson Consulting, working with oil giants like Amico and BP and Vistage Worldwide, living, leading, and learning in over 70 countries on six continents. Brett now bases out of South Carolina, delivers keynotes and workshops and retreats on transformational leadership. His program, Extraordinary Why, is incredible. 
If you or your organization have never done that, we're going to have notes in the show notes, some links for you to link to finding out how you can get Brett involved in your company, in your business, in your sports program. Because I'm telling you, when somebody discovers their extraordinary why, it is transformational. Whether it's online, um, whether it is in person, what you get from this time is powerful. Brett has an incredible story. Brett is being used in incredible ways. And I can tell you this, I would not be where I am today if it were not for that three-day workshop that I went to that we'll talk about a little bit. So ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how you're wrapping up 2020, but I hope you've got a notebook. I hope you've got your thumbs. I hope you're ready to take some notes. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with this transformational leader for many, but especially for me, Mr. Brett Pyle. Well, Brett, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Honored, honored to be here. Man, tell everybody, so let's take a second. I want to catch everybody up. Tell everybody who you are, what you do, and give everybody a little semblance of Brett Pyle. <laughs> Big question. Uh, so who am I? What do I do? I am a, um, I'm a speaker. I'm an author. Uh, and for many years, I was a convener of uh, CEO peer advisory boards, groups that would get together uh, to process issues and opportunities and to help each other become the best possible leader that they could be. I did that for about a decade. Uh, and about three years into doing that kind of work with one of my boards of CEOs, or about 16, 20 of them in the room, uh, they were said, hey, Brett, you know, you should, uh, you should become a speaker. And my first reply immediately, Mike, was, what are you talking about? I got nothing to say. <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah, you do. Just say the sort of stuff you're saying to us when you, when you coach us. Which immediately told me I was getting the coaching thing all wrong, right? I mean, I'm supposed to be asking questions, not speaking. And I think maybe they were just saying, hey, go be a speaker so we can get a word in edgewise. Um, so I came up with a program and I, uh, I delivered it to them and they were kind. They gave me decent scores that got me onto the, the, the circuit, the speaking circuit that I, uh, to, to these other groups. And, and the fundamental thing I was looking for was a, was, was a, a different kind of talk. Because it was a, it's it's a secular organization of uh, business leaders, and there are all kinds of great speakers on the circuit. I mean, you can get a you can get a speech on how to market and how to sell and how to finance your business. I mean, great, good, hard hitting topics that every business leader wants. But I was looking for a, a bigger kind of talk, a talk that would help people on their spiritual journey. So, goal setting from a, a longer term perspective. And uh, so that's what I built the program around. And uh, about seven years after doing that program, it, it, it had exploded to the point that I, I frankly had to, had to make some changes in my life. I was speaking 130 times uh, a, a year somewhere around the world. And, uh, and, and I just didn't have time to be home when I was home. And so I actually um, started doing that full time. I shut down my peer advisory groups. And, uh, and now I speak and that gave me the chance to finally get the book over the finish line. So there's your long winded answer. I'm just following along wherever the Lord leads. And he seems to have led me into a season of speaking, of coaching and of, uh, of helping, uh, people connect with their purpose. And of course, the only way they can do that is by meeting him along the way. Yeah, that's right. Well, you, you and I connected back in the mid, I guess, 20, 
2013, 2014, somewhere right in there through the Blackaby organization. And I know they teach the principle that you find out where God's moving and you get in on it. How did you, how did you find the Blackabees? How, what was the story on connecting with those guys? <laughs> All right. So that is one of the more cool God stories of my life. I, uh, before I got into the peer advisory board thing, I, I, I had just gone through a, a, a season of failure in my life. I had, um, I had left uh, uh, the corporate world. I was, uh, you know, we had been around the world in some big corp- corporate jobs. I was in the oil and gas industry, came back, joined uh, joined my best friend in business. And after three years, learned a whole bunch of ways not to partner with your best friend in business. <laughs> and uh, and in the middle of a mediation where tension had come up into the relationship, um, my partners got together and they threw me out of the business. And I was like, what was that? Because I was sure that I was in that business because the Lord had led me into it. I mean, we're both people of faith and everything else, and it ended so badly. So as I was coming out of that, I'm like, wow, Lord, did I just miss you? I mean, I know you were in that. And it was on that journey that, um, you know, some people would call that the dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, here I am. And, oh, and by the way, did I mention it was 2008? <laughs> wow. Yeah, the, the, the worst, you know, economic uh, conditions in the history of my life up until that point. And my partner's throwing me out of business and I got nothing. Along the way, I, uh, I, I created a, a vision for a business. And it was a business of working with, um, with leaders to help them lead from a, from a spiritual perspective and, and, and make decisions um, based upon... Um, the fact that we're only here for a short period of time and how can our, how can we make sure that our lives and our businesses fundamentally matter in the world? Um, so that was a vision I had written down. The next day I saw a job posting for an organization that was looking for someone to help Christian CEOs of the biggest of the big companies um, uh, be spiritual statesmen in the organizations mm-hmm. that they lead. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. It's very similar to the vision I had just written out. So I applied uh, long story bearable, it was kind of one of these processes that um, got national um, recognition and, and they had hundreds and hundreds of applicants. Every job in 2008 had hundreds and yeah. hundreds of applicants. And uh, and yet, for some reason, the recruiter said, wow, your application stood out. We'd love to get to know you. And they set up an interview. Um, I found out that the organization uh, uh, was working with um, with Henry and Richard Blackaby as well. And I thought, well, that was really strange. And in the middle of figuring that all out, while I was I had applied for this job and ultimately went from being one of hundreds and hundreds of applicants to being one of six that they were really considering for this thing, um, uh, Richard Blackaby moved into my neighborhood in little old Greenville, South Carolina. I mean, while I'm interviewing for the position for an organization that he's working for, and he had just moved from from Canada to to, to Greenville, and we. Um, I, you know, with the day you moved in, I'm showing up, I'm, I'm waiting on his doorstep, you know, can I carry in your boxes and your bags or whatever else? And he, I'm sure he thought I was kind of a weird guy. But I said, let me tell you what, what God seems to be doing in my life. It took, um, it took that organization six months to eventually um, uh, say that I wasn't the guy. And again, dark night of the soul, because his fingerprints wow. were all over it. And I said, did I get this wrong, God? And when they gave me the no, and in fact, they didn't even fill the position for another two years, you know, because just the, the, the economy had downturn. I said, Lord, I just seem to keep missing you. And I'm, I'm pretty frustrated. I'm done. And I went into kind of a two week period of pouting where mm-hmm. I gave God mm-hmm. the silent treatment. <laughs> That's how mature I was in my spiritual walk. 
And at the end of that two weeks, you know, he asked me this great question in a quiet time. He said, you know, Brett, you, you and Jeannie, your wife, you know, have done a really good job of following me in the, in the, in the big decisions of life and seeking my will. I got a question for you now. Are you, are you willing to follow me even if blessing doesn't accompany the following? Mm, mm, mm. Do, you, are, are, do you want my blessing or, or not? Or, or are you willing to follow wherever I lead? And I told him again, I got, I don't know, I got to think about that, God. It's a good question. <laughs> and another week or so goes by, and finally I'm like, oh, my gosh, of course. You know, I spent 25 years. I, I came to faith late in life. I was 25 years old before I, I, I came to know the Lord. And, and, uh, and, and at, at that moment, you know, uh, in 2008, I finally said to him, God, you are the blessing. I'll follow wherever you lead, even if it doesn't feel like blessing, whatever it is. I know what it's like to live without you. And I, I don't want to do that anymore. So wherever you lead, I'm yours. That's what he used to then lead me into peer advisory, spiritual leadership coaching. And about two years after I was leading my own secular group of CEOs, Richard came alongside because he and I were still getting together. And he said, hey, you know, I've been watching how God seems to be using you in the lives of the people that you're leading. And I wonder if you'd come alongside Blackaby Ministries and help us create this thing that we're calling spiritual leadership coaching, because it seems like you're kind of doing it. So that was that was the process, and and that was that was ten years ago. So that's amazing. That is isn't it, isn't it amazing, Brett? How much of who we are comes out of those darkest nights of the soul? You know, I guess Blackaby calls them the crisis of beliefs, where we yeah. we have to sit there and figure out why. And and looking back now, why do you believe that God took you through that time from '08 and? the world just starts to get pulled out from under you financially, job-wise, doors aren't opening as quickly. What did you learn in that moment you probably couldn't have learned any other way? Well, uh, in retro- then I didn't know. Now, mm. now I, I see it very clearly. And I see it clearly. Um, it, it's kind of another cool story. One of the, I see it clearly because of what he told me in a, uh, in a time uh, of discomfort. Mm. Um, one of the things that uh, I do with each of my kids is is uh, uh, let them take me on a, a one-on-one trip, and every one of them has picked some kind of a short-term missions trip. And it was my uh, my oldest daughter when she was 16. She said she wanted to go work in an orphanage down in the Dominican Republic. That was her choice, and I was like, an orph- you know, an orphanage. <laughs> I don't even like kids. I, I'm a, no, I mean, I yeah. like you, of course, because you're mine, right? But uh, my wife's giving me a dirty look. I'm like, um, in Dominican Republic, honey, when? And she says, August. I said, do you have any idea how hot it's going to be in the Dominican Republic in August? You know, can't we pick someplace more fun? Finally, we end up going, right? As we stepped off the plane in Santo Domingo, because we didn't go to Punta Canta or any of those right, great places. Right. right here are fantastic. We were in the inner city slums of Santo Domingo. And woke up the first morning, dripping in sweat, covered in bed bug bites on top of our mosquito bites. And, and uh, Lauren looks at me. She says, oh, Daddy, I want to go home. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, wow. me too. <laughs> and wow. we will in about eight days when the plane returns. But, you know, we're sticking it out. And you should have picked someplace cooler. <laughs> that night, you know, and every night I was there, I was just wet. I was miserable. It was hot. We saw God work in some amazing ways. And I'm like, Lord, why is this so hard for me? And I heard it just as clear as you and I are talking right now. I said, hey, Brett, the fundamental issue is you're addicted to comfort. Mm. And 
all your life you've been trying to get comfortable and you've been filling it in with some good things, work and family, and you've been filling it in with some things that aren't so good either. But either way, all you're trying to do is get comfortable. I said, well, what do you want me to know? He says, well, what's the name of my spirit? I said, ah, well, you called yourself the comforter, didn't you? And he said, yeah. So he says, why don't you lean into me next time you feel uncomfortable and, and see what happens. So I think that was kind of what he was doing in, in, in my fat, dumb, and happy American lifestyle. I was, I was really comfortable. And I could have every single one of my needs met on a daily basis. And, and I wasn't really working to have needs met anymore. I was just simply working to have my next want met. Mm-hmm. And the problem with getting your first want met is that you want more. My, um, my son years later picked a, a different uh, mission trip. He too picked working in an orphanage. And I was like, no. <laughs> and it was in the Amazon jungle. And I'm like, no. It's so I finally said to him, all right, uh, Jonathan, if, uh, if you want to go do that thing, I'm fine with doing that. But uh, we're also going to see some of the beauty of, of Peru. We're going to go to Machu Picchu afterwards and see that. And he didn't argue. Um, we, we get into the jungle. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's miserable. I mean, it is. It made Dominican Republic look cool. Um, and it was transformative because we were, um, you know, working in this orphanage where, um, well, first of all, you know, the Amazon river is the world's largest uncontrolled international boundary. Right. And because it's uncontrolled sex and human trafficking runs rampant up and down that river. And Jonathan and I got to spend about uh, 10 days living and working in an orphanage with 18 boys, age six to 14, who had pulled out of that lifestyle. And they were so happy. Mm. You know, they didn't have a lot of wants, but they had their basic needs met. Um, they had a roof over their heads. They had a house mom and dad that would pray for them, and they had um, food. And they were so content. And we had an amazing time. We finally did get comfortable living and working with them. And, and then we, we drive back into Lima, Peru. The rest of the, the group flies home, and John and I check into the JW Marriott Hotel to begin the fun part of our trip. And uh, as we're walking into the hotel, I see his face uh, light up as he's looking at all the opulence we're surrounded by and the marble and the glass. And we take the elevator ride up to our room and open up the door and press the button uh, next to the door and the curtains open up electronically. And there's the Pacific ocean is just, and as his, uh, as the room's getting lighter, I look at his face and and suddenly it got sad. I said, what's going on, bud? He said, Hey dad feels wrong feels wrong in here. <laughs> and I said, I know, but there's nothing wrong with being here. You know, I spent most of my life you in know. the JW Marriott. Right? <laughs> there's there's <laughs> wrong with this. Uh, the secret is this, the secret is being content wherever you are, whether you got little or a lot, you know, you and I were not content when we ended up in the jungle two weeks ago, but we got content by the end of it. And if it's okay to be content there, it's okay to be content here. So it's being satisfied with uh, what mm-hmm. you have. And I don't know, Mike, how you and I learn that lesson ourselves when we're living in this culture, which I think is infected with the disease. Um, it's called affluenza. I, you know, the definition of affluenza is having every one of your needs met and getting the first want met. And once that's met, you, you just want more and more and more. And I think as the world is going right now, I mean, you and I are speaking right now in isolation, aren't we? Yep, that's right. We're in the middle of this whole pandemic thing that's going around the world. And we're getting a glimpse of what it looks like to, to be in need, unlike any other time. Um, so maybe we're getting a taste of it. But you get yourself, have your kid take you into the third world where uh, people, people live like this most of the time. 
and you'll you'll meet some of the most content people you've ever met because they because because they're happy. And the only thing we seem to want in this country is to want for nothing. That's right. That's so good. You know, we're I'm doing a study with some executives uh, through the fruits of the spirit, not the fruits of the spirit, but John 15. And we're talking about Secrets of the Vine, the old Bruce Wilkerson book. He's, what a great uh, book. Oh, what a great book. And we were talking yesterday about, uh, you know, that he will take the most mature vines and cut them the deepest so they can bear more fruit. None of us enjoy the cutting. No one like the cutting. <laughs> no, but we sure enjoy the fruit later. And, and I wonder, you know, I love your new book, Extraordinary Why. Do you think you could have ever gotten to this book if those cutting seasons and those dark nights and those two weeks in the jungle hadn't happened? Do you think it would have been even possible to find an extraordinary why for even you? No, no. It, it, it is the essential part of the process. He loves us too much to leave us like we are. Mm. Even if uh, we think we're doing pretty well and we're, we're, we're providing for our family and we're doing things, we're having an impact in the world. If we're not growing in him, mm. he loves us too much to leave us that way. So he's going to remove whatever it is from our life in order to, to, to make sure that he's jealous. Right. And, um, and, and he wants an intimate relationship with us. He craves us, craves it. And, and the moment we put an idol between us and him, he loves us too much to leave it there. So he's going to prune it away and that hurts and we don't like it, but boy, do we love the, uh, the results of it and the joy that, that flows from having an intimacy with him that gives us, I, I think there are three, three thoughts that I, I try to hold in my head at all times. Thought number one, Brett, you're not nearly as important as you think you are. <laughs> That's right. And that's a good reminder for me. And I need it because, because I can become my own God. Um, and thought number two, um, uh, and even though you're not as important as you think you are, your, your name is written in heaven. Mm. And thought number three, and this is my favorite one. I love this one is I honestly, Mike, believe I am God's favorite. Mm. I'm absolutely his favorite. I am. I am tied for first with you. <laughs> that's right. and I'm tied for first with everybody that's listening to this podcast. Um, we're not that important. We will be dead soon. In the end, will our life has, have mattered? And by the way, as his favorite child, all we have to do is spend quality time with him and listen to his voice and then obey what he says and then watch as he changes the world through us. It's just a fantastic journey. You know, so many people talk about finding your why, but I love the thought you talk about finding your extraordinary why. What's the difference between just knowing an ordinary? Okay, I think I know why I'm here to to find an extraordinary why, something that really is bigger than you. What's the difference between those two things? Well, I think it's digging a little bit deeper, right? Mm-hmm. I, just uh, and Simon Sinek's a, a great author, and he and he talks about the marketing value of of uh, connecting your people to a why, a cause that's bigger than them, and that's huge, right? People will you'll get irrational loyalty from people when they understand that they're working for something that that matters, something that's bigger than they are. And I've got lots of examples in the corporate setting of, of how teams really just stepped up to the next level when that team found their corporate why. Mm. But more than that, uh, you, you keep asking the why question. Why does that one why matter to me to the degree that it does? Mm. And get an answer to that one. And then ask it again. Why does that one why matter? You dig deep enough and ultimately you're going to be asking spiritual questions. That and, and the ultimate spiritual question is why in the world am I here on planet Earth? 
Lord, why did you create me for such a time as this? And that's a great question for us to be asking now as we're in the middle of a pandemic. And hopefully when this podcast releases, when we're on the other side of it, hopefully we all got some clarity during this time of why we're here on planet earth. And then once we figure that thing out, now it's like, all right, Lord, help me do that because I can't do that in my own strength and power. Because if your extraordinary wife fits into your own head and you can do it in your own strength and power, you didn't find it yet. You Mm got to dig a little bit deeper because God doesn't call us to do things that we can do in our own strength and power. Mm. He calls us to do things that we can't do in our own strength and power because that creates a, a fundamental dependence upon him and a need so many leaders go around thinking, you know, it's our job to figure out what our strengths are and then uh, do that, right? Don't worry about your weaknesses. The world doesn't need another mediocre leader. And, and the best you're going to be by working on your weaknesses is mediocre. So find out your strengths and work from your strengths. I used to think that too. And, I, and, and, and it was in the very first spiritual leadership course that we were doing training course for coaches from around the world that were coming together to be coached. And, uh, and we, we pulled together a curriculum and I had 38 coaches from around the world come to be trained by me on spiritual leadership coaching. And I'm telling, I'm, I'm getting ready to make the point that we just talked about, figure out what your strengths are, work on your strengths, do that. And uh, God stops me and he says, Brett, remember that leadership assessment you went through, you had five or six strengths, you had five or six developmental areas in the, me- uh, in the, in the middle and you had this one weakness. I said, yeah, I remember. And I was never good at that weakness. So I just kind of put it on my head. And before I was ready to finish, I'm teaching from a platform. God stops me and says, Brett, I want you to remember what that one weakness was. And I didn't, I had forgotten about it. I put it on my head. And then he reminds me, Brett, your weakness was coaching. And he reminds me on that on a day when I'm standing in front of a room full of 38 professional coaches trying to get trained, but from me on how to coach. And, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what, what do you want me to know now, Lord? And he says, Brett, there is not a strength that you bring to the table that I need. Mm. The best you have is worthless to me. That's so good. And then he adds, and there's not a weakness you possess that limits me in any way. There, there, there is not anything strength or weakness that you bring. What I crave is not your abilities. What I crave is your availability. That's right. And if you come to me, strengths, weaknesses, empty, warts, <laughs> and all, mm-hmm. uh, just watch what I do to you. Come and, and, and spend some time with me because I love you so much. That's so good. You know, I, I loved reading the book, and, and we were blessed at North Star to be able to go through your workshop, uh, uh, an abbreviated, I know, workshop that you oh, took our so staff fun. through. Oh, it was so fun. And you made us do something at the beginning that I don't think anybody really loved. I know I was sitting with my wife and we, we had to uh, talk about the end. You wanted us to work back from our funeral. Who's going to be there? Why is beginning this journey of your extraordinary why? Why do you always have to begin with the end in mind? That's a great question. Um, You know, how we, you know how you know when you ask a good question? When there's silence at the other mm, end of the microphone. Mm, mm. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Um, after I, so I've done this workshop, and I've done some version of it. i got a 12-week online version that people can go through and, and come out the other end of it, having really kind of connected with, with, with their purpose. Um, and after one of my workshops, there was, a, there, was, there was an older Jewish man in the room. He says, hey, Brett, you know you're a rabbi. 
I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, the job of a rabbi is to uh, comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> and I said, I like that. I'll own it. Um, and so here's the deal. I think most of us in America are so out of touch with death and the fact that it is the reality that everyone faces us, uh, that every one of us faces, that we're, we're comfortable. And so it's, it's a jarring, almost what you might call a pattern interrupt. We think we're all going to die, and yet we all think we're going to live forever. And that's wrong. So let's get into proper perspective, who we really are. Mm. Now, God did that for, for Job in a powerful way. Job was asking God some really, really big questions. And, and God stopped and says, I'll answer your questions. But before I do, let me ask you a few questions. That's right. That's <laughs> Gird right. up your loins and man up. And here mm-hmm. you go. I got some questions for you. Where were you when I created the stars, when I put the oceans into place? And yeah, it was this right setting of, oh, my gosh, I, there is a God and I'm not him. <laughs> That's so good. And so beginning with this end in mind of there is a time coming for all of us, for some of us soon when we are going to be pushing up daffodils. And in that moment, and in the few moments that precede it, we're on that deathbed reflecting back on our life. Will anything we have done mattered? Or might we have been irrelevant and just wasted this gift that we were given called life? And then in the, in, in the TED Talk that I've, I've given there, there, there's something worse than having not mattered and being irrelevant. And, uh, and, and that is called becoming complicit in evil. And actually making the world worse because we were here, maybe even not while intending to do it, but just because we didn't stop along the way to make some conscience-based decisions. And the next thing you know, uh, we've done some things that we never, ever intended to do because we didn't really fully begin with the end in mind. So let's get, get, get clear on who we are first. We are soon to be dust. And in that moment, and we are profoundly loved by a creator who created us for a purpose. So how do you find out what that is? And then once we figure it out, say, all right, God, I can't do it on my own. And he says, I know. <laughs> so let's do it together. All right, great. Let's get on with it. You know, and as creepy as it is, it is a, it is a releasing thing to do that because it, it does help bring so much clarity to your life to go, Okay, if that were me, and I would say in the in the world that I'm in, I do a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals, and I leave every one of them better. Yeah. Because you look at you, 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 it makes you look at life differently. You made a statement in the book, and I'd love to unpack it a little bit. It's the why behind the what that will dictate whether or not the achievement of your goals will ultimately fulfill you. Yeah. Because I think. Most of the people probably listening to this podcast, you, you don't tune into a podcast because you're looking for good music, right? You tune into a podcast because you're a you're a learner, you want to grow, you're like, all right, I, somebody told me about it, I want to get better. When you get the why behind the what that dictates whether or not the achievement of your goals will ultimately fulfill you, what's the difference between just being a goal setter and having a driving extraordinary why behind it what's the difference between those well goals in in and of themselves are are, are not right or wrong uh goals are neutral things and and the achievement of a goal may or may not satisfy you at the end of the day the goal is simply the what you're going to go after uh the personal satisfaction at the end of the day um 
godly glorification on the other side of the coin uh, are all about why you were doing that goal in the first place. And was it the right goal for you to be pursuing? And until you figure those things out, then when you get there, it may or may not satisfy you. Take, take a money goal. You know, a lot of us want to be financially successful. But the problem with a money goal, and I, when I, I do this with, with leaders of companies, one of whom, um, as, as we were going through this, was his driving force in the world was to create his company into a billion-dollar company. And we got to the midpoint of the program where we're, we're, we're talking about um, a life that matters, and it looked like the weight of the world was on this man's shoulders. And it took him, Mike, it took him, I'm not exaggerating here, maybe three minutes to utter the words, I'm so lost. Wow. An hour later, after going through a few more things, the weight was gone. The man's face was a lit. And he says, oh, my gosh, it's all about the people, isn't it? Shoo. It's all about me helping them become the best versions of themselves so that they can take this thing further than I ever imagined. It's about them. It's about me pouring myself into them. The money will follow one way or another. I'm like, yeah, that's somebody who goes from a what, a billion dollar company to a big why. And it's not the billion dollars. It's that this billion dollar company will provide livelihoods for people and, and, and their families. And it'll, and it'll meet some, some profound needs in the world. And it'll do all these other great things. And it's about developing those people along the way. Because ultimately, that man, you and I are all going to be in a box. <laughs> mm. And the play of life is going to go on without us. And if we connect with that why, we will have extended our impact into that next generation or two, or how far out into the future can you see? And I think that some of the biggest works that God does in the world don't happen through individual lives. And if we hold our life too closely, we may miss the fact that now, Brett, your number one purpose in life was for you to raise Jonathan to be a godly man because you have no idea what I'm going to do through his grandkids. <laughs> you mm. know, it's like, oh, wow, okay, Bigger perspective. Thank you, Lord, for the reset. You know, and I love that illustration. I want to camp on that for a second because for a lot of the listeners that may not understand coaching and they may not understand what you just did, we'll take that CEO, for example. You saw that. When he said it, you saw it. You knew the answer. Why was it important that you ask him the right questions so he found the answer and you just didn't tell him, well, you un don't you know? I mean, here's why. It would have been a totally different experience. What's the power behind that coaching moment that you did when he discovered his own answer? Yeah, Craig, man, you're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And that's why you're good at it, because you're asking good questions. There is a time and a place for teaching. There's a time and a place for telling. Uh, young kids, we do a lot more teaching and telling than we necessarily do coaching. Although you, you're, you're a coach for, for, for teams. So even youth need to be coached from time to time. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with um, Stephen Covey wrote a great book. Um, he wrote a couple of great books. One, of course, was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, uh, which I think was the best book on personal self-development and, and, and professional development of the 20th century. He wrote a follow-up to it um, called The Eighth Habit. It didn't get quite as much uh, acclaim as, as, as The Eighth Habit, but there were some powerful truths in it. The whole first half of the book, The Eighth Habit, is all about finding and clarifying what he calls your own voice. Mm. Mm. 
Um, I've always called that as who we are as whole people, right? I mean, we're whole people and, and, and we're, we're, we're physical, we're intellectual, we're, we're emotional, and we're spiritual beings. We're four-dimensional beings. At the core of those four things, it's your, you know, who you are fundamentally, who God created you to be. Um, I've always called that your identity, you know, and some, and, and we see in scripture how God gives people a new name. He's, he's renaming them and helping them get really clear on what, who they are at their core. Covey called it your voice. And it sits at the intersection of those four things. Whole first half of the book, the eighth habit, find your own voice. Wow. And I think most of us spend the first half of our life trying to figure out what our voice is going to be. And it's important that we do that. Um, but if we stop there, we may not have mattered. Great. He found his voice but he never inspired other people to find theirs. And so his life fundamentally didn't matter. Uh, so first half, find your voice. Second half, inspire others and bring people along on this journey because it's about them. And it is getting coming to grips with the fact that, you know, ultimately we are dust. So the only way you can actually do that is by um, helping other pieces of dust find their voice. And now you've created a mul multiplicative of, uh, effect where the world is being changed for the better. In in the in the speech you gave at North Star, and it was on the Saturday night event, you talked about a lot about your parents, and you talked a lot about your first TED talk, and oh. you were, and you, you were there. You were walking around a graveyard, and it was where your your parents were buried. That was where they were, and and in a lot of ways, you were finding your voice through that. That was a powerful powerful illustration for me and we talked a little bit at our table about it what was what was so powerful to you about that moment when you realized where you were and you realized it was a goal that you had had for your entire life to be able to do a TED talk and now you're getting ready to do it but the footsteps away from the building that you were to speak in are the 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 legacies of your mom and dad Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so that was the great reset for me. Um, and, and it got me thinking about purpose in, in, in this bigger way that we've talked about. And, and, it, and, and I'll, I'll dig into the story here in a minute, but it is kind of connected to this idea that, you know, David had on his heart to build a temple for the Lord. And God said, no, that's not for you to do. Um, you're a man of war and, and my temple needs to be built by a man of peace. Uh, but that didn't stop David from storing up all the materials mm -hmm. and doing the other parts That's right. to make it a little easier for his son. I love that he was doing that. Um, and I, and that started giving me this glimpse of the big works are done through generations, through lineages, maybe not necessarily through single lives. Uh, my parents were both Broadway actors and actresses. My dad was, was, uh, had this huge booming voice. It was an opera trained voice. And, uh, and he, and he was, uh, a leader of leaders and the CEO and a variety of other things. Um, and during the entire time when he was alive, I never actually professionally spoke for a living. Um, I, I was, I was a business person. I was doing other things and um, he passed away. And within a year of his passing, that was when my, my CEO board was saying, Brett, you should be a speaker. And I was saying, no, I couldn't. But, but within a year of his passing, I gave my first talk that I got paid to give. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. He was, he was, had this voice. I didn't. And yet he passes and then I get a voice. And so this, there was this first sense I had that there is something that God birthed into your parents and into your grandparents that you get a taste of while they're alive. But after they pass, the mantle, so to speak, passes on to you too. And you, you, you get more of it. 
So that was the first thing. And then I spent the next seven years speaking and I had applied to do two different TED talks and both times I was rejected. Uh, profit in his own land, right? <laughs> um, and on the day I got my second rejection out of the blue, I got, uh, got a request from out of town. I, I live in South Carolina and the request came from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Come, come, come do a talk for our organization. It was Grand Canyon University, a great uh, university that I'd never really heard of. And I thought it was up near the Grand Canyon. Apparently it's right in the heart of Phoenix. So anyway, I, I um, ended up going to do the talk, my whole family coming over and I check them all into a hotel because I didn't want to see them before I had yep, to go do my yep. TED talk. I had to get into my zone. And as I was um, leaving the hotel and getting uh, going to the TED talk, it did occur to me that this hotel, for some crazy reason, I'm sure it was coincidence, right? Shared a boundary with the graveyard where all of my family was buried, mm. not just my parents, but it was my great grandparents and all the way back four generations. And I walk out of the hotel and I take my tour through the, the graveyard past my grandparents, great grandparents. And I end up on, uh, on the grave of, of my mom and dad. And I'm looking down at that. And uh, when it hit me was when I looked at the date on the headstone. And Mike, it was, uh, it was seven years to the day when my dad was buried. And uh, so never spoke, then spoke within a year of his passing, and then seven years, the biblical um, uh, number, of course, for completion in many ways. That's right. And I'm going to go do a, a, a TED Talk and get, get uh, some degree of, of, of prominence of, of speaking. And, I, and it all just came to me that I, I am not a physical being. I, I, I mean, I am, but ultimately I'm a spiritual being that's having a temporary uh, a physical experience. In the, you know, sometime soon, I'll be in that ground too. That's right. And will I have connected with the larger spiritual work that God is trying to do in the world through me and through um, my ancestors that came before me? And will I help pass that on to my kids and grandkids and great grandkids that will follow me? I think that is one of the beautiful pictures of life. And if we, if, and that's why we begin with the end in mind, to, to get that sense of we are passing through. That's also why, in many ways, too, in complete answer to the earlier question you ask, you can't tell people this. No, you can't. And if, if they are asking the question and you give them the answer, you've robbed them of the, of the joy. It's like cutting a butterfly out of its, uh, or a caterpillar out of its chrysalis. It, it's, its wings won't strengthen to the point that it can fly on its own. And that's why we ask questions, uh, wow, I wonder what God's doing in and through you right now, as opposed to me saying, here's what I think God's doing through you. And that's the difference. There's so much more power in asking that question and letting them struggle with the answer. God loves us too much to give us all the answers. And he loves us too much not to let us struggle and be uncomfortable. That transformation takes place outside of the comfort zone. And so if we can make an environment very quickly where people feel safe and yet they feel profoundly uncomfortable, I think we can accelerate some of the transformative work that people that God is trying to do in the lives of, uh, of, of his kids that he loves so much. You you have a great quote in the book, and and the quote is "What we do in life echoes in eternity," um, and that can <laughs> be like quote you know. <laughs> yeah, I know, but but that's good or bad, right? I mean, that's a that that quote that you used that can be a good legacy, bad legacy, correct? Yes, you bet. Yeah, the, and and of course the quote uh, was famously uh, or made famous by Russell Crowe in in the Gladiator film. That's right. That's right. Brothers, what do we do in life? <laughs> Echoes in eternity, which is fantastic, right? And yet, you think about some people that had some fantastic legacies that has echoed positively throughout generations. 
you know, Martin Luther King comes to mind, right? The, the, um, and so many different um, godly leaders that you can think about, Abraham Lincoln, you name it. Um, but there are other leaders whose legacy has echoed throughout eternity as well. And in my TED Talk, we obviously go into the gas chambers of Auschwitz, and we learn about the legacy that uh, Adolf and, and, and his Nazi followers had, and everything he did was legal. Um, and yet it led to some incredibly, incredibly dark places. Um, and are we being intentional? Because we can become complicit in these things, uh, even without intending to do so. And the only way to avoid that pitfall is to is to really cultivate a sweet, intimate relationship with um, what the world knows as their conscience, what you and I know personally as the Holy Spirit of God who loves us so much, um, and and then make um, make decisions and, and uh, set goals based upon what we're hearing from that voice, not just from our own minds, because our mind is our seat of our is the seat of our ego, and the and I'm glad I have an ego. It has kept me alive. Right? It's it's its job. Um, but the ego wants me to be separate and it wants me to be superior and it wants me to be comfortable. And if I set goals based on what I hear from just my mind and my ego, then, then my life won't have mattered. And, and it could be worse than that. It could have been dark, but if I set goals and live my life according to the leadings and guidance of my conscience and the voice of the Holy spirit, uh, then, then my life can matter. And, and so it really does begin with this concept of hearing from God. And so maybe we can go there in the, the last few minutes. How in the world do we hear from God, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I, and I want to I get in on that. And you, I think so many times, Brett, we, somebody's listening to this and they're going, well, if my life lines up perfect, I'll find my why. Or I begin to search for my extraordinary why. And God's, because I'm trying to do it to honor the Lord, he's going to honor me and life's going to be easy. But the reality is there's going to be some hurts and there's going to be some hurdles that, that we all have to face. And in the book, you talk about the story of Nelson Mandela and the power of forgiveness. Hmm. Why is the power of forgiveness so big in finally finding your extraordinary why? Again, wow, great. Uh, some of us aren't free. Some of us aren't free because we're holding on to hurts and hurdles. I love your two phrases there. I, I call them unresolved wounds, things that happened to us in the past that, uh, uh, that we've uh, allowed a root of bitterness to take place in our heart. And that root um, literally puts us into a jail. If somebody has hurt you and they, you feel they owe you for a wrong that they did to you, you're in a prison. Um, not a prison, a physical prison like Nelson Mandela was in. He was in, you know, Robben Island for as many years as he was, 27 years. Um, but even as he was, was coming out of prison, at his, uh, in his uh, book, Long Walk to Freedom, uh, he, he said, you know, as I was walking toward the gate through which I knew I would enter freedom, I also knew that if I did not leave bitterness and hatred behind, I would, I would still be in prison. And that's true. And, and it's biblical. Um, leave your gift there at the altar. First go and reconcile, be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Because if you don't, <laughs> I will hand you over to the torturer, to the jailer who will hand you over to the torturer, and you will be tortured until you have paid the last penny. All from Matthew, from different parts of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most profound teachings ever delivered to the world. Bitterness and hatred is, and the memory of the event that hurt you, 
is the torturer and the and you're tortured by that memory. And until you let it go, you're in a jail. But by going into that and letting it go and by uh, approaching into each one of those circumstances and say, hey, what you did was wrong, or it may or may not have been wrong either way, and I no longer choose to hold it against you. I'm going to surrender my, my judge, my, my right to judge to someone who can judge more objectively. That, does, that, that doesn't change the past. It doesn't say that what happened was okay. It, it changes you. And it changes you from being someone you were never intended to be, the judge. Right? That, that authority was not delegated to us. We wouldn't want it. We don't know why they did what they did. We don't know how many generations it goes back in their heritage. So we can't judge. So surrender the right to judge. Get free. Let it go. Forgive. Then you're in a clearing. And from that clearing, you can move forward powerfully, unhindered by this stuff that happened in your past. Because if we don't deal with that stuff, it will show up later in our life, and it'll hinder us, and it'll hinder our loved ones. Um, and so that's why it's so important, I think, on this journey that we, that we do have to do some of this deep reflective work. And, and of course, there's no better place to do that deep reflective wor work than in the presence of your creator who knows all about it and why he allowed those things into your life and giving it to each one to him individually and letting him uh, help you go walk that process of forgiveness. I, you know, Jesus, his teaches, teachings on forgiveness were fundamentally profound and, and confused everybody, and they still do today. You know, his disciples, how many times should I forgive my brother up to seven? And Christ laughs. He's like, well, if you only want to be blessed seven times, then just forgive seven times. He's like, why not seven times 70, you know, right. 490, right? Because the forgiveness isn't for, the, for your brother. The forgiveness is for you. So go into unlimited times of being blessed by forgiving as many people. And once you get this in your head, suddenly this idea of forgiving others becomes almost a selfish sort of thing. I'm looking for people to forgive today. <laughs> I know I'm going to get blessed. <laughs> Can you and, you, and you talked a second ago about hearing from God. If that forgiveness has not happened, is it possible for somebody to really hear from the Lord? So they say, well, I want all the to find my extraordinary why. And I want to hear from God, but yet there's some things in my past I'm choosing to hold on to. Will those, will those things in their past keep them from hearing from the Lord? You know, it's funny. And, and, and I, I, I could answer that question in two different directions. I think the best answer to that question is there's, there's nothing I can do. There isn't a sin I can have in my life that will prevent God from being God. Mm. He's going to be God. So I can't hinder him. I think I can, um, I can hinder his activity in my life. Um, and, and that's a different thing. Um, I have heard from God uh, in the midst of being in disobedience from him. I've heard from him. And, and so my obedience or disobedience doesn't keep me from hearing from him. But it does keep me from experiencing the abundant life that he wants me to have. He's speaking all the time, and, and I can keep the channel clearer um, by, by heeding and obeying uh, those things, which I know he's speaking to me clearly. And uh, so um, I, I just I hunger for more of that clarity. Um, in my darkest times, um, God it will still speak to me and tell me how much he loves me, even if I'm harboring uh, some, something that I don't want to let go of, that I know he's told me to let go of. God told me to write my book, and uh, and I tried, 
And my problem is I'm plagued by this demon called perfectionism. And I could write the heck out of a paragraph, but producing content was hard for me. Mm. So I quit trying, even though I knew he had told me to do it. And then I start speaking. And after I gave three, three years, I'm speaking. And after every talk, people are like, Brett, when are you going to write the book? <laughs> I'm like, great. I can't get away from it. And, and then I start writing the book. Now, doesn't that say something interesting about me and what I value? Right. You know, why am I willing to obey that which man wants me to do, but I'm not willing to persevere through the discomfort of what God wants me to do? That's a convicting thing. Yes, it is. And, and, and so here's the rest of that story on the whole conviction thing. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. You know, if, if, if you ever hear you're worthless because you can't obey God, that's not God's voice. That's right. That's the voice of the accuser. Uh, and it's about tearing you down at your identity level and your core. Uh, and when God speaks that to me, he, he, he's like, Brett, I told you to write. If you're not going to write, I'm going to make you speak it. And then let those people tell you. And then eventually I'm like, okay, I'm going to finally obey you. And when he speaks that to me, it didn't condemn me. It convicted me. Mm-hmm. And conviction is a correction that inevitably at, my, in my, at the core of my soul feels ultimately good. You're right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord. Will you forgive me? He's like, will you? I already did. Now get on and finish the book. <laughs> I'm like, all right. So I get the book over the finish line. That is Funny, so huh? good. That is so good. And, and that process will go throughout through our entire lives. And that's what I love about, love about scripture is God, God doesn't leave us characters who always did it right the first time, but God loved them enough to give them a second chance. From yeah. Jonah to Abraham to David to Nehemiah. I mean, all of them somewhere got off track. And God goes, okay, I'm going to give you round two. We get three strikes. I'm going to give you round two, but let you get another plate appearance. And, and I think in our lives, he keeps doing that over and over and over in our lives. Final question I've got for you today. You talk so much about legacy and you talk so much about purpose. When God created Brett Pyle, he gave you the mom and dad that he did. Mm. He gave you the background that you did. He gave you the family you now have. He gave you the gifts and abilities you now have and use for him. What do you believe was the purpose God knit in your soul to his soul that he created you for? It's funny listening to your question. I went on that journey and, uh, and thinking about all, all, all my ancestors, my heritages. And, uh, you know, I love movies and I'm a, I'm a big movie fan. And I, I watched a great film over the Thanksgiving, last Thanksgiving break. And it was um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's the story of Mr. Rogers, right? And uh, it's about uh, a young m- a man who was tasked with writing an article about him and, and, uh, and uh, had some issues with his father. And uh, in one scene uh, over lunch, uh, uh, Mr. Rogers, perfectly played by Tom Hanks, by the way, who does this amazing job of portraying him, asks him, uh, you know, who, who loved you into being? And in a, and, yeah, it, was, it was a great question because even though uh, his dad wasn't the best of dads, there, the, his, his creation still was rooted in love. And so when you were talking about my heritage, I was thinking about all those in my heritage that loved me into being, and I was, I was touched. Um, here's, I think here's the, the, the somewhat long answer to your question, because I can't say hello in less than 10 minutes, as I think you and your <laughs> listeners have already figured out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I come from a long line of Thomases. 
my middle name is Thomas. My father was a Thomas. My grandfather and great grandfather, all Thomas. I was the fourth. My son's the fifth. His middle name's Thomas. And so, as Thomas, I think one of the heritages we have was named for us by the disciples. We're doubters. We're skeptics. And uh, and so, this idea about hearing from God came to me as is is something that I just thought was ridiculous. <laughs> Come on, he spoke. He wrote a book. Read the book. Align your life with what's in the book. And I spent the first 10 years of my walk after I became a, a Christian at age 35 trying to do that and trying to, you know, obey a set of rules and, and, and be a good Christian. And uh, on the 10th anniversary um, of, of, uh, of my walking, actually it wasn't the anniversary, but it was in that 10th year, uh, my son was born and I, um, I started hearing from the Lord very, very clearly. And it was a, it was a profound day. My mom uh, was living in, in Arizona and we were in London. And uh, Jonathan was born, and uh, my mom was uh, was diagnosed that day with a brain tumor. And on the phone that evening, my dad said, "You need to come come home and be with your mom." And I was I, I was in turmoil. You know, uh, my whole family was in London, and I was supposed to go to Phoenix and go be with my my mom. And I um I I didn't know what what to do. I wanted to pray, couldn't think of what to pray. Thought I'd read scripture, couldn't think of where to read. Open up Psalm twenty three. It says, "The Lord is my shepherd." Mm. I shall not want. And I broke down crying saying, Lord, what do I do? And immediately I heard, you need to go home and be with your mom. Not audibly. Mm. I've, I've met some people that have heard the audible voice of God. I have not. I would like to, but I haven't. It was just a, I asked a question and an answer was there in my mind. And I asked a few more questions and then I stopped myself and I said, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm having a two-way conversation with myself. Is it, Lord, is this just me giving me my own answers worse than me? Is it, have I opened up my mind to the adversary and, and, and he's speaking into, or, or, and God stops and he says, hey, Brett, my, um, my sheep know my voice. Mm. Mm. Now I knew those were not my words. I've never spoken about sheep. I don't even know what a sheep looks like. Um, and, and I didn't think that was the adversary's words. And then I realized later, of course, it was, it was scripture. And I was just reading about the shepherd and the shepherd's Psalm too. And he was speaking about sheep. And that began a, began a process of two years of me cultivating um, and testing this voice. Lord, is that really you? And he went to extraordinary lengths to prove that um, his sheep do know his voice if we just take the time to listen. So go into those quiet times and not, uh, of prayer and don't just give your list of asks and your wants and your confessions. Ask big questions and then get silent and stay silent for a long period of time until you hear an answer in your spirit. And then test the answer. Lord, I just heard this. Was that you? And then get silent again. And, and, um, and over time, he proved in some incredibly supernatural ways of, of um, uh, predicting things that I couldn't possibly know in my own strength and power and everything else that, Brett, this is my voice, and, and my, I want my children to, to hear it and know it. I think that's why God created me. He gave me a set of experiences. He gave me a, a healthy degree of skepticism that he has put into my heritage for generations and generations for me to test it. Uh, and then for me to, to say to the world, the God that created you loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And he didn't just write a book and want you to read it and then go do it. He wants you to spend quality time with him on a moment by moment basis and listen for his voice. And when he speaks, he wants you to obey. And when you disobey, he's not going to condemn you. He's going to love you through that. 
And, uh, and then as you over time cultivate a deeper, more intimate relationship and walk with him, he will change the world through you if you allow him to. I think that's uh, the message that he's entrusted to me and the one I'm hoping to share with the world. I hope you enjoyed my time today with Brett. I'll probably never be able to put into words what my three-day workshop meant and especially what that coaching moment that Brett and I got to spend together meant to me. You know, I think we all have those light bulb moments. Maybe it's spiritually when you came to know the Lord. Maybe it was in school when you finally got something. I believe, I believe that in my journey, my time with Brett was a light bulb moment and a moment that I will be forever changed because of. If you've never gotten to hear Brett, you need to go hear him. So make sure and go to our show notes, click on the link to get all his information, find out how you can bring him in, do some coaching for you and your organization. The best coach, life coach I've ever met. And uh, I'll always be eternally grateful to Brett Pyle. Thank you, Brett for sharing with us today as we wrap up this crazy year. You know, as we look ahead to 2021, we get to sit down with a gentleman that as a young boy, I idolized. I knew who he was. I watched him. He played against the Braves all the time. Uh, He burst on the scene as a 21-year-old rookie, first overall pick by the New York Mets, won World Series titles with the Mets and the Yankees, all-star, perennial all-star, All the tools, all the talent, all the stuff. But yet, we knew a lot for him on the field, but you learned a lot about his life off the field. But here was the deal. This young man didn't just lay with his story unfinished. He met Jesus, had a transformational experience, and has a brand new book coming out telling his story called Turn Your Season Around. Our first guest of 2021 will be Daryl Strawberry. You get to hear his story of fame. You get to hear his story of collapse. And you get to hear the story of rebirth. And it is powerful. I cannot wait for you to listen. If you've not downloaded this podcast, if you have not subscribed, make sure and subscribe today because it's the best way to never miss an episode. And we've got so many great ones. We've got Daryl Strawberry and Tony Newhoff, the wife of Carrie Newhoff, coming out with a new book. Molly Fletcher, Richard Blackaby, Davey Blackburn, Randy Gravitt, and many, many, many others. It's going to be a great year on Lynch with a Leader. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. And my prayer for you is you go live out the life that God created you to live and you be who he created you to be in the space and the place that he put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 